Hello and welcome back to Blue Water's Planet Water podcast. This is the first program in the second series of the Planet Water podcasts brought to you by Blue Water, a global Swedish water and beverages company. Blue Water is driven by the vision of banishing single-use plastics using ingenious planet-friendly water purification, dispensing and bottle solutions to generate and serve pure water and other beverages at home, work and when on the go, such as at busy events, venues and public locations. I'm Dave Noble, Communications Chief at Blue Water, where all of us care about what goes into the planet's landfills, oceans, rivers and lakes, because we care about what goes into our bodies when drinking, cooking or washing with water. Today, I'm talking with Rich Rasgaitis, founder and the CEO of Flow Water, a highly successful US water company based out of Denver, Colorado. Blue Water and Flow Water share the same purpose-driven vision and merged early in 2022. I spoke to Raz to discover more about what drives him and Flow Water and makes them a perfect match made in heaven for Blue Water. I'm talking to Raz, who is the CEO of Flow Water, a company that Blue Water merged with earlier this year and we're going to try to talk about and cover some of the things that make Raz and Flow Water tick and discover some insights into what's so special about them. So Raz, you've been running a very successful water business called Flow Water for the past 10 years or so. Can you tell me something about what Flow Water does and where it does it? Sure. The the entire mission of our company can be pretty simply summarized to putting an end to single-use plastic water bottles. The longer version of that is that there's a fundamental belief that we have, that I have, that every person in this world deserves access to clean drinking water that they can trust. And unfortunately, we're in a position where even in most developed nations, that doesn't exist any longer as a result of contaminants that you know are man-made as well as other problems with water purification process and the water filtration process and some of the chemicals that get added to it. And what we're left with is a situation where largely, again, in developed nations, which are some of the biggest contributors to plastic pollution, what we're left with is a scenario where we're not struggling with, if I could only find a water faucet or a spigot or some access to water, the the issue that we're left with is that in in the United States, but I think this is true certainly worldwide, the data suggested is that people don't like or they don't trust what's coming out of their tap water. And that has propagated in part this big bottled water industry, which I commonly metaphorically refer to as as, uh, the big tobacco equivalent in the 2020s. And uh, that same level of concern and distrust of tap water is generally seen uh, around the world. And so the way that we're solving that is by getting people to fall in love with tap water again. And the way to do that is to create something at the source using 
uh, in our case, a flow water refill station, which takes any potable tap water and turns it into the world's best tasting water straight from your tap. And our vision is to get that flow water product in conjunction with blue water, wherever consumers work, rest and play across the globe. You know, it's a bit ironic, isn't it, Raz, that if we take the United States, for example, which is one of the most highly advanced countries in the world, if not the most highly advanced country, uh, uh, which has invested over the years a heck of a lot of money in building a water infrastructure that back in the you know 19 late 1940s and 50s was highly trusted. That doesn't seem to be the case today, not only you know, listening to you and your explanation, but also a lot of other people, including a, a very large number of consumers, also don't trust the truck water. What's wrong with drinking water coming out of the faucet today? We could do an entire podcast just on this. If I were to use a few examples, and, and again, these could go on and on, but I mean, we have a variety of issues that are going on uh, right now. So I'll start by picking one glyphosate, which is commonly known as Roundup. Uh, Roundup was developed in the early 70s. And so, it, you know, it's an agricultural herbicidal product. And the problem with chemicals that we put into the environment is that they end up in oceans, lakes, rivers, and landfills. And that includes our water source. And not unlike single-use plastic water bottles, you know, people say, I recycle and, you know, it just goes into the landfill. Well, the reality is that the vast majority of even recycled product ends up ultimately in oceans, lakes, rivers, and landfills. And that contaminates our waterways. And so glyphosate is a chemical that municipal water treatment facilities in the 40s and 50s were never developed to have to filter out or purify for. And so municipal water doesn't purify. It does a, a pretty miraculous job of once upon a time providing treated water to the vast majority of Americans. And I'll, because we're in the United States, I'll spend a little bit more of my time using U.S. data and U.S. experiences. But a lot of this applies in many developed countries across the globe. So you know, now we have a glyphosate issue in our water, and that's just one example of it. And the municipalities were never designed to treat a product like that. Uh, we can also look at microplastics. Another great example, you know, and some of the metaphors that I use with that is just like if there are 10 of us in a room and nine of us are non-smokers, but one person is smoking and that's a closed room. Well, the reality is all 10 of us are smoking because of secondhand effects of cigarettes smoke. And the exact same thing has been happening with plastics. So not only do you get microplastics in your bottled water, bottled water as well as other plastic products contribute to microplastics that are now in our drinking water. And so there was a study done in, uh, I believe it was uh, spring of 2017, published in out of SUNY, which demonstrated that over 90% of bottled water contained about 300 microparticulates of plastic per liter of water. Surprisingly, though, the same data uh, manifested as it related to tap water. So even if you're not drinking bottled water, you are now drinking bottled water in the form of microplastics. And the average American is ingesting around one credit card's worth of microplastics every week. So that's a second example of something that is, is really a kind of a human-made contaminant and all of these single-use plastics are the culprit of it. Uh, and then, you know, we could also talk about chromium-6, we could talk about PFAS, and, you know, there's a variety of other things. Lead is an issue. 
issue. Uh, there was an article and some data that was published in Popular Science years ago and just several years ago, not decades ago, several years ago, where approximately 25% of water sources tested across the United States had above acceptable uh, minimum lead level thresholds. And that's a serious danger. So people point to Flint, Michigan and use Flint, Michigan as a crisis. But that the problem with that is that's the tip of the spear. I mean, we have that crisis and the data supports it, that there are much higher than acceptable lead concentrations in tap water. And, and we're not talking about a few cities like Flint. We're talking about 25% or, or over 25% of the, the, the water sources of drinking water that was sampled and the data was published as a result of that. And so we have an issue where the system was developed for a different water source and more contaminant free water. And as a result of that today, uh, we've got water that that people rightfully don't trust or they don't like. And then there's other issues as well. You could look at TDS levels. I was just talking to someone from Phoenix yesterday and they were telling me how the water is undrinkable and it is kind of undrinkable and not in a literal sense. But when you have water that's very hard in places like Arizona that have TDS levels, which stands for total dissolved solids, and that's the amount of inorganic solids that are in your water. Uh, and some of these can be beneficial like minerals, but sometimes they're in excess and others can be very unbeneficial. Your water tastes terrible. Anything over 100 parts per million generally tastes quite bad. And if you've got TDS of six, 700, uh, I can't even really palatably drink the coffee in Arizona because the water is so hard there. And so as a result of that, it's created this huge propagation to bottled water. And you couple that with hundreds of millions of dollars that are, are invested by marketing machines like big bottled water companies. And you have something that's kind of ripe for uh, an environment disaster. And, and on top of all of this, 70% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. And that data is pretty consistent worldwide. 70 to 80% of people worldwide are chronically wow. dehydrated. And that has a huge impact in terms of satiety, which ties to obesity, to mental acuity, to sleep, to rest and recovery, to uh, even there's, there's data around hydration and ADHD and, and a deficiency or dehydration of water is kind of an agonist to ADHD characteristics, for example. And so there's a variety of issues that we have in the world today, which is people are chronically dehydrated. The water that they're drinking is largely or is increasingly, I should say, uh, contaminated. And often that's with man-made substances that have been introduced to the environment. And as a result, we're, we're, we're drinking bottled water. And even in the tap water, we're now drinking bottled water. And effectively, bottled water is the new environmental cigarette. And so this is a big problem that is being amplified in awareness more and more every year. It used to be that I'd forward an article to the team every time there was an article about microplastics nine years ago. And that's because there was only an article every 90, 120 days. So I was able to forward an article because they were so infrequent. Now, now they're there's, you know, 10 in our newsfeed every day. I mean, I, you know, it'd be pointless to start forwarding these articles to the team because that's all I would be doing is forwarding <laughs> articles to the team about the serious effects of microplastics. And so we're now at a point where there's growing awareness of the problem and in, 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 in the way to solve it is to provide a solution. And that's what we're focused on doing. Okay, so I mean, if you could see my face right now, uh, Raz, you would have seen that it's turned a kind of like horrible shade of sick green. I mean, it's pretty scary stuff. And obviously, from everything that you're saying, and which is endorsed by the science everywhere, we ordinary consumers who tend to rely on our tap water to be safe are stuck seemingly between a rock and a hard place with 
no way to turn. So what do you think we as consumers, ordinary people, can do about this problem? Because obviously, you know, we don't want to take the water from our taps. We don't want to drink the water out of plastic bottles. So what choice is there left to us? So so let me start by what we what we can't or what we shouldn't be doing, some of which you already touched on, but then let me use that as a as a progression towards well, what can we do? Starting first with bottled water, you know, I understand the use case of it. I understand the utility of it. If uh someone is in the middle of a state of California or Utah and there's no potable water nearby and that's all they have to drink, then great, go for it. You know, but that that use case is a fraction of a percent. By and large, if you look at bottled water sales, they're they're in major metropolitan areas that nobody is having difficulty accessing potable water. And so, you know, the first thing that we need to do is we need to stop using bottled water and we need to move to the tap. And so if we move that as the progression to the solution, long-term, there's a solution of upgrading and improving, you know, water reclamation as well as water processing, certainly a municipal level, though it's not just limited to the municipal level. And that also includes infrastructure. And so that is a many decade and probably many trillions, at least a trillion dollar problem to be solved. And so that's not a, that, that's a long-term plan. And if we're thinking about, you know, building for the future and building for our kids and our grandkids and uh, generations to come, that's something that needs to happen. But I mean, even if you were to change out all of the municipal water treatment facilities and upgrade them, and I think by and large, they do a pretty good job. It's that we've just done, unfortunately, an even better job of contaminating the source water that has far superseded the capabilities of uh, municipal water treatment. Again, municipal water is not the only uh, uh, treatment source, but that's the largest one in the United States. So, you know, that that that's a longer term, bigger problem to solve for. But even if all of those were upgraded, and the point I was going to make is that you still have an infrastructure problem where the pipes that are transporting that water are doing so that are filled with sediment and cracks and debris. And, you know, there's, there's seepage from heavy metals. And some of those heavy metals are, you know, really dangerous, like lead, chromium-6. And so, you know, sometimes a metaphor that I give on that, and I'll get very quickly to the solution here in a second, but just again, highlighting the source of the problem and what to solve for. Uh, the metaphor that I often use for something like that is, you know, if we were to upgrade all these municipal water treatment facilities and made them pristine and ultra purified, and it was like a flow water unit that is at a municipal bulk water source, we still have a problem with the delivery of it. And it's not unlike creating uh, a meal in the kitchen with the most pristine organic ingredients and a grass-fed steak if you, if, you, if you eat meat, and then taking that meal and dragging it across the kitchen floor and then serving, on, uh, serving <laughs> it on the dinner table. And that's a little bit like the problem that we have with water treatment. This is why it's actually quite complicated, which is you have source water issues, and then you've got uh, water reclamation, and you've got water municipal treatment, but then you also have the delivery way, which you know when you're dealing with system and an infrastructure that in many cases is running off of pipes that are well over 100 years old and they've become contaminated or they've become compromised in some way, that's the equivalent of dragging your organic meal across a kitchen floor and serving it on the dinner plate. Uh, and so the way to solve that is that effectively what we need to do is we need to treat the water twice, right? And so what what the beauty of what we have in, in most of the developed world, and there's other 
you know, problems with uh, underdeveloped countries that need other resources. And I believe collectively, by doing a great job on what our focus is, we'll get to those areas as well. What we need to be able to do is provide a piece of hardware, uh, and this is our solution, but there's other solutions that are out there as well. I don't want to suggest we're the only solution that's out there. But by treating your water twice at the source, right, which is in the ingress, whether that's in your home or your gym or your school or corporation or a fire department or a manufacturing plant, there there does need to now be a second treatment source for that water that's coming out from the tap that refines that water, purifies that water, remineralizes it, and makes it something that you actually prefer to drink. And so, you know, if there's if there's a secret to it, it's really a simple secret, which is this water is at the point where it needs to be repurified, remineralized, and consumers need to like it. And if they like something, they will do more of it. And so you can't just serve up crappy tasting or lousy tasting tap water and expect people to want to give up their bottled water because they won't do it. Consumer behavior just proves time and time and time again that consumers generally won't do, even if they think it's good for them, even if they know it's good for the environment, even if they know it's good for legacy they won't do it unless it also is of benefit to them or they like it and they trust it. And so that's the solution is to effectively treat the water twice uh, using a piece of hardware that can refine the water that's coming in to take care of these issues that we've been discussing. So what are the primary uh, ways that you at Flowwater polish the water so it's even cleaner than it was? I mean, how do you return water to a state where it's as pure as nature intended, maybe several hundred, if not million years ago? Uh, and well, by the way, I love what you I, I love that you just said the way that nature intended, because I think the reality is if we all had like a deep well spring sitting in our backyards, there would be no need for flow water or blue water. In fact, that is as nature intended it, which is you take pristine soil and then you've got good sediment and rock and that serves as a natural filtering process. You know, unfortunately, for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world, we don't have that anywhere accessible to us. That's practical. And so that that is what we're, we're effectively solving for. And so what we've developed is in a flow water refill station, and there will be other manifestations of this product through form factors, which will be, you know, in conjunction with flow water and blue water, a countertop unit and under sink system, which blue water already has, and very similar to flow water in terms of using superior osmosis. We use advanced osmosis, but we've developed a seven stage purification system, which first works by, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll summarize the seven stages as opposed to going through each one of them. But the first three filters basically are extracting. They're extracting and removing impurities, everything from pharmaceuticals, herbicides, pesticides, chlorine, fluoride, microplastics from the water so that what you're left with is your tap water that is free of up to 99.999% of any potential contaminants. It's about as close to distilled water as you can get. And then the next set of stages of filters are basically remineralizing and alkalizing the water. And so it's increasing alkalinity content, it's adding in essential minerals that are necessary for optimal absorption, as well as certainly taste. If anyone's ever drank uh, or consumed pure distilled water, it doesn't taste right. And the reason it doesn't taste right is it's not remineralized. And your body not only needs minerals to properly absorb the water fully, but it also needs that for the taste effect of it. It tastes a little off when it's completely unmineralized. And so that's the second stage of filters. And then the final stage is really a kind of a, a polishing or a taste filter which is uh, we run the water through a coconut carbon filter which doesn't make it end up tasting like coconuts but what it does is it imparts this really 
brilliant, clean, crisp, fresh taste of the water that makes it better than bottled water. When we, we've done consumer surveys, um, and I won't mention specific brands, but if you can think of the two or three most popular brands of premium bottled water, when we've done blinded taste tests, nine out of 10, eight out of 10 consumers, the data, the data is ranging anywhere from eight out of 10 to nine out of 10 consumers prefer flow water from any tap water source, so flow water connected to any tap source, to their favorite brand of bottled water. And so that's the way that we've gone about solving it. The flow water refill stations are have been designed for largely commercial application. We do have some people that put them into their home office, home gym, um, into their kitchen. But uh, by and large, the flow water refill stations are designed for hotels, schools, gyms, corporations. And what they really replace are water fountains, five-gallon jugs, point-of-use water coolers. And also, in the absence of those three things, it replaces bottled water as well when we install one in um, in a B2B environment. So I'm, I'm quite curious. So thank you for those insights, which have educated me and I hope educated everyone listening to us to know not only that there is a problem, but also that there are solutions being offered. And of course, both flow water and blue water offer solutions to consumers and businesses wanting to have that cleaner drinking water experience. Now, the two companies merged uh, not so long ago. Raz, could you Perhaps give me some idea of, I mean, you were both successful in your own right, both not only, I mean, flow water in the United States, blue water in Sweden and globally, both of you doing quite well. Thank you very much. Why did you see a benefit in merging and what do you think that's going to deliver uh, your customers going forward? Well, I, there's, I'll answer that in two parts. Number one, we are in an industry that is filled with massive incumbents that in some cases have been around for close to 100 years. Or, or over 100 years in some cases as well. And so that's the case, whether it's water hardware, companies like LK and Hawes are, are very longstanding companies that have been providing water fountains, for example, for roughly a century. And then of course, the same is true with packaged water and bottled water. The bottled water really didn't start to, to come to the market until the early 80s. Uh, and before that, a decade uh, before, you know, Perrier was kind of led the way with that in glass bottles, but unfortunately everything moved to plastic. And so when we look at some of the massive incumbents. And then we also look at, at what we're trying to break, which is this, this habit of, or, or this problem. Well, it's both a problem and a habit, a habit of bottled water and a problem of unrefined tap water. Size and scale matters. Resources matter. Uh, if we were just going after a niche market, wanted to be a local company and, and, and solve the problem in the state of California or the city of San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, then you know we wouldn't need as many resources. But I mean, this is an this is an area where uh, size and scale matters, and that's one thing that this merger solves for. Uh, the second aspect of it, just going back to what what does it bring in, in yield in terms of of opportunity, and from a customer perspective, is that you know we, where we have largely after developing the flow water refill station, uh, where we have largely focused our time and attention is on commercialization. And going into the pandemic, we were growing about 100% year over year. Uh, during the course of the pandemic, uh, we we did fairly well faring against our peers and outperformed most of our peers, but it was still a very difficult market. But that also led to some huge market opportunities for us that we had not ever really um, identified to the fullest extent before, such as schools. You know, 50% of our business now are schools replacing conventional water fountains with flow water refill stations to provide their students clean access to great 
drinking water because it does good for the environment and consumers drink less soda and coffee. Not that a lot of students are drinking coffee, but kind of coffee-like beverages and they're drinking more water. And that's a particularly good thing for, for student health, but also other people that are the recipient of flow water products. But then beyond that, if we look at what Blue Water has done exceptionally well, and I've always had great admiration for Blue Water and Bank and the innovation around product development. And there are a whole series of very complementary adjacent uh, water delivery devices and pieces of hardware, everything from an under sink system to upcoming faucet systems and some things that I, I might not be able at liberty to kind of preview at this point. But if we look at the way that we solve this problem, it's not by just having one singular product. Uh, it needs to be multifaceted. And if we want to solve the problem of single-use plastics and we get we want to get people back to the tap again, then we need to be able to deliver a great water system solution that purifies and refines that water wherever consumers work, rest, and play. And Blue Water and this merger between Flow Water and Blue Water is a great step forward towards that path. From a product development perspective, I, I think there's tremendous cultural synergies as well. I mean, you know, years ago when I was reviewing decks and presentation materials and the website on Blue Water, it was almost like I was reading the exact same languaging, positioning, and messaging that 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 we've developed over years, just with, you know, maybe a little bit of different nomenclature, but it was as symbiotic and harmonious with another company as I've ever seen. And I've looked at a lot of water companies in the US, including innovative startups, and I've never seen something that kind of mirrored quite so closely what was and has been our vision and our desire and how we've gone about the market. And so I think culturally, it's, uh, you, you know, despite the fact that it's 5,000 miles away and across the pond, so to speak, and uh, kind of different culture from a European perspective, it, it's incredibly harmonious. And so it's something that, that I and the rest of the team are excited about, but I'm excited about it because it's going to drive better solutions for customers. At the end of the day, the consumer is what matters here and how do we how do we provide an amazing experience that consumers fall in love with that does well for the environment that enables them to stay properly and, and improve their hydration and outcomes. And that's the real mission here. The real mission here and the real win is for both the environment as well as uh, the people around the world where we're gonna be able to provide better products, more access to products with greater resources. So that's going to lead me to a, maybe a tough question for you, Raz. It's very clear that both you and Blue Water are on a mission with a clear purpose. Uh, do you see yourselves a bit as the Ben and Jerry of the water industry? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard the Ben and Jerry analogy. You know, I the analogy I typically use is David and Goliath because, <laughs> you know, I use that one in the um, kind of fighting against uh, the, the big bottled water equivalent of big tobacco. Um, and so I'll have to think about the Ben and Jerry. Which one do I get to be, Ben or Jerry? I think you can choose. I mean, Bengt, who you refer to, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know it, is Bengt Ritry, who's the founder of Blue Water, much like Raz is uh, founder of Flow Water. I, I think I'll leave it up to the two of you to decide who <laughs> fills what role. Um, wrestle over uh, who that. goes to prison first? Because I know they seem to take it in turns, you know, <laughs> not only selling great ice cream, but carrying out acts of uh, social commitment that gets them into trouble. A couple of last questions, just to get a little bit more of insight into who you as a person are. No one can see you. You're on the, a, a radio podcast. But what do you do when you chill out, Raz? I, I guess you're not testing water all the time. 
I am not testing and working on water all the time. The, you know, that is certainly not only a, a vocation, but an avocation. Gosh, I, I would say, you know, one is I love to get out in nature, whether that's hiking or uh, riding a motorcycle or snowboarding. You know, so there's some some activities that I enjoy doing there. Uh, spending time with my daughters is some of the best time that I can ever spend and some of the most enjoyable. I don't know at, at 19 and 20, they feel quite the same way as I do <laughs> at this point. I mean, they like hanging out with me in smaller doses. I, I can take long doses of them and I think they can take smaller doses of me, but that's a, a real enjoyment in my life. You know, personal development as well. I've, I've spent, you know, a lot of time over the last couple of years just really wrestling with taking kind of a next stage in personal development. And I've, I've used a variety of tools and resources and people to help me through that process. Uh, everything from kind of a, a personal development perspective to a spiritual development perspective, which is going to be, you know, a work in process the rest of my life. But those are those are three things that I really enjoy spending time on and in. Favorite music or book or pastime apart from no, riding a motorbike? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I actually, you know, one of the things about me is I don't actually have favorites. I don't know if there's something wrong with me, but, you know, if someone asks me a favorite food and favorite music, I generally tend to like a lot of things. There's very few things that I actually dislike, but on the music scene, everything from EDM to country, probably more often than not, I have Marvin Gaye playing. In the backdrop. And so, gosh, talk about a super fascinating and highly talented musician. Uh, Marvin Gaye is probably as close to my favorites as as I'll get. But I like a lot of different genres. And then, uh, you know, same with food. I mean, there's there's almost nothing I don't like. And probably to a fault, I like all foods all too much. So I don't know that I can help you with a real favorite there. Okay, well, I mean, it's curious because I have um, an 18-year-old stepdaughter as well, and she is into her own brand of music. And the other day we spent an evening together and I said, okay, listen, I'm usually dominating everyone with the music I like, so why don't we just devote this evening to playing your music? And we did, and she did, and I was itching to get out of my seat and I couldn't make up my mind whether I wanted to dance or just leave the room. So it was a co it's sometimes complex when you get those different genres going. Um, <laughs> Raz, uh, I just got really one last question to end up with, and I really don't know too much about you or your, your long-term background, and I'd, I'd just be very, very curious to know what made you go for a career in water of all things. I actually haven't told this story very much, but in Colorado many years ago, I started to explore this idea of buying a bottling plant. It was a, there was an old bottling plant in Manitou Springs, and then they turned it into a craft store. And they were they were bottling this water from the springs there that uh, had lots of natural minerals from the spring, including trace amounts of of lithium. Actually, people kind of mm -hmm. described it. Local people described it. Lithium used is kind of used out as a used as a balancing agent in therapeutic doses. And there were there were trace amounts of lithium in this particular spring, and it was an interesting concept because as I was talking to people locally about it, you know, they kind of described it almost as like a great tasting calming water. And I I started to get 
fascinated with water through my exploration of that. And I never ended up pursuing it because I was doing other things. But that was that was kind of my first foray and taste of it. It's so hard not to use so many puns with water. You don't realize how many puns are associated with water until you start to walk in the work in the water industry. And almost everything actually ties back to a water pun, it feels like. So, well, don't worry, you're making a real splash today. <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got puns and dad jokes too. <laughs> and so you know, that, that that was a little bit of an inkling, but kind of fast forward to, you know, what was nine and a half years ago. You know, it's a kind of a culmination of my background, which is largely consumer packaged goods and technology. And this is an interesting intersection of those two things. So that, that was one element that drew me to it. The second is this is a big, complicated, difficult problem to solve. And there's actually quite a number of people and companies that have tried to solve this before that didn't figure out the consumer need and solve it bad timing, they ran out of capital, they didn't have the team and resources, whatever it was, they didn't accomplish it. And I think it's because it was really hard. It's a really challenging problem. And so I looked at this as, wow, this is a this is a substantial problem to solve for. And we could do well by doing good. You know, this is an there's not a lot of opportunities in business to do well while also doing good. And it doesn't mean that, you know, your purpose in life has to have the intersection of both in every professional endeavor. But when you get those two things to intersect, it's pretty special. And then the last thing is, um, you know, when when I co-founded the company, my daughters were right around 10 and 11 years old. And, you know, I noticed even in San Francisco Bay, uh, you know, showing up to soccer games and they're getting fed Cokes and Twinkies and Snickers bars. That you know, after games or after practice, I mean, you think you know, people. I think tend to think of people who live in San Francisco. You know, give their kids wheatgrass juice after a soccer practice or something, and that doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't happen that way. It's just like it is in the Midwest for the most part, right? You know, where I grew up, uh, where you know these kids are getting kind of addicted to sugary, caffeinated, carbonated beverages at a very young age. Uh, which I think is, you know, kind of like the consumer version of, of heroin for kids. And I don't mean to use that as too extreme of an example, but, you know, when you get kids addicted to caffeinated, sugary, carbonated beverages at a young age, it, it, it changes neural pathways and it changes behaviors for decades and decades. And it's part of the precursor to the obesity problem that we have and the diabetes problem that we have and numerous other issues. And so I looked at this as, wow, this is a way to get even my kids and someday their kids, not only an environment that is restored and protected by potentially eliminating single-use plastic water bottles, but also getting them to fall in love with water again. Uh, because, you know, if you're filling your body with water, you're not filling your body with as many other bad mm -hmm. things. And so there are so many, th there, there's so many problems to solve for here that it makes it incredibly fascinating, although it's also incredibly challenging. Uh, this is not a path of ease, but it is a path of purpose and passion for, you know, not only me, of course, but 50 other amazing flow water people that are part of the team here in Denver, Colorado, and California, and throughout the United States. And then, of course, the same goes for those in, in Sweden and Europe and someday in South Africa and China, and then someday in you know every country across the globe. Thank you very much, Rich Razgaitis, otherwise known as Raz, who I've been referring to you as all through this interview, for joining us on Planet Water podcast. So thank you so much. Likewise, Dave. Brings... Thank you. Thank you, Raz Razgaitis, CEO and founder of Blue Water, US partner, Flow Water.
This is Dave Noble thanking you for listening to the first in the second series of the Blue Water podcast, Planet Water. As Rose points out, environmental concern, sustainability and the climate emergency are at the centre of public concern and political consciousness right now, not least because of fast rising temperatures and the resulting problems like brush and forest fires, which are fought in part using chemicals that seep into the ground and flush into lakes and rivers to end up in aquifers and ultimately our tap water. At Blue Water, we are happy to be at the forefront of innovative hydration technologies and solutions that can be a force for good in helping our awesome planet return to health after far too many years of abuse from human-made chemicals, microplastics and other pollution. Blue Water has made its stance totally clear by signing up for the UN's Clean Seas Pledge to turn the tide on plastic. Every single day, our solutions, as well as the solutions from Flow Water, help people and businesses avoid using plastic bottles while staying properly hydrated, as well as also contributing to the efforts to collect the plastic littering our seashores. You can discover more about our vision and mission at Blue Water at www.bluewatergroup.com or www.drinkflowwater.com. On the Blue Water and Flow Water websites, we look at what's in your water that shouldn't be there. We answer vital questions on stuff like how much you should drink each day and when, and we give you a whole bunch of great recipes for water-based drinks using fruit, vegetables and herbs. Just hop online to either www.bluewatergroup.com or drinkflowwater.com. Well, we've reached the end of this Planet Water podcast. I hope all of you out there enjoyed meeting Rich Rasgaitis, founder of Flow Water, and hearing his hugely positive insights. You know, as a grandfather of three granddaughters and two grandsons, the whole subject of clean water and planetary well-being is absolutely vital to me. This has been Planet Water, brought to you by Blue Water, and this is Dave Noble saying stay safe and stay properly hydrated. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed listening to Planet Water, please help us spread the word by reviewing and rating this podcast. It'll help us keep making great episodes going forward. If you have a comment or a question you'd like answered, don't hesitate to email me at david.noble at bluewatergroup.com and I'll get back to you just as quickly as I can. That email again is david.noble at bluewatergroup.com. Thank you for listening to Planet Water. Please remember to always talk to a doctor about your hydration needs. We're not doctors and don't provide medical or health-related advice. Please remember, too, that the individual opinions expressed here are just opinions and nothing more. Thank you. <laughs>